Our sermon text this morning comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. There I am. Great. Uh, We'll go ahead and dismiss nursery if we have nursery this morning. No mercy? Okay. Good to know. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, every person that you've brought here this morning. Thank you for their desire to come and, and worship with your people for the desire to worship you, for how you have been at work in their lives, bringing them to this point. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, that you have never abandoned us or forsaken us. No matter how dark the road may have been at times, we can see that you've been present. So we ask that you will continue your faithfulness as we look at your word. May it be powerful and incisive, encouraging, inspiring, May it bring us to our knees in worship of you, to love you anew and afresh with deeper love and deeper conviction. You are the only one who can turn a human heart. May you do that into the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I always find it very interesting, um, just cultural differences between various societies, so, you know, that idea of culture is um, the strongest culture is one you don't recognize. It's so baked into how you live, what you assume to be the case. And so for instance, um, how you value either hard work and effort or just innate talent, um, they, can, they can see different cultures lean different ways. Um, so in America, we very much value the kind of genius, the prodigy. Um, but in other cultures, for instance, many Asian cultures, they value much more hard work and effort. And I was listening to a, a segment on NPR a couple years ago where they brought this out in a study. They got a bunch of elementary school age kids from America and gave them an unsolvable mathematical problem. And they had an hour to solve it. And then they did the same with a group of elementary school age children from China. The American students on average lasted about five minutes before they said, this is impossible, I'm done. And they gave up. Whereas the Chinese students, every single student worked the entire 60 minutes and only stopped working on it because they were told they had to. And again, there's a, there's a, a, a fascinating difference in what we value. So in, in, in Asia, in many Asian countries, um, what they value is hard work. Obviously, being smart is nice, but hard work and effort uh, matters a lot more. And so those Chinese kids were going to work hard until those 60 minutes were up, we're in America. Again, we, we value the kind of prodigy, you know, genius, uh, just the, 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 the natural, raw talent and ability. Um, and it comes through in, 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 in our kids only working three minutes and being like, well, I don't, I don't have the ability to do this, and so I'm going to stop. Well, there's a, I'm, I, there's a point to this, because there's, there's similarly, it can be a similar situation how we value kind of, the, I'm going to put this in quotes, the spiritual genius. Big square, scare quotes around that. Um, 
when we put people up on pedestals, it's like this is kind of like a saint. You know, we read missionaries, uh, missionary biographies. We read those incredible stories. I grew up reading missionary biographies and found them very helpful. Um, and you read them and you hear these incredible stories of faith and what these people, men and women, are willing to do. And you walk away feeling partially inspired and probably part of you thinking, I could never do that. That just is, is, is unreal, incredible. Now, in our story this morning, Jesus wants his disciples to understand something really crucial about about following him. That is that they don't need the faith of a spiritual giant. They don't need to be the next Jim Elliott or the next Hudson Taylor or the next Adam Judson. But what they do need to do is to actually exercise the faith that they do have. They don't need faith like a spiritual titan. They need to begin to exercise the faith that God's already given them. And what they'll find is that that little bit of faith is going to accomplish a lot more than they could possibly imagine. So the outline for us this morning as we look at this passage is first, we want faith like a missionary. Second point is that we only need faith like a seed. And third, we have enough faith for any task. So to recap, we're in a section here where Jesus is taking some kind of extended time just to be with his disciples. He's talked to various people, to religious leaders, to, to you know, people who are kind of looking on the outside in throughout his ministry. But here for these last couple chapters, before he arrives in Jerusalem, he's taken a minute to just focus on those who have decided to follow Jesus. And he's teaching them what it means to follow him. Now, we were going quickly, and now all of a sudden we're going very slowly. And the reason for that is um, previously in chapters 15 and 16, there were overarching themes. We could we kind of preach through those in bigger chunks, but all of a sudden here in chapter 17, we get a kind of a series of disconnected stories that really work more like Proverbs than like a, a kind of coherent narrative that we can trace through. And so it's just, it, we just have to go slower because each of these is its own independent unit of teaching, and they're worth dwelling on. So today we're just looking at two verses. And go ahead and look at verse five with me. And as we look at this verse, I'm gonna pull out um, kind of an honest request, but also an implicit assumption in this request. So the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. An honest request. I want us to put ourselves in, in the mindset of the apostles or the disciples at this point. So think back to Luke 5 when the first ones were called, Peter and Andrew. They probably had some idea what they're getting themselves into because Jesus did tell them, hey, I know where the fish are. If you put your fish here, you'll find them. They'd heard him preach already, so they probably had an idea of of his preaching ability. But here it's about two years later, and there's no way they knew what they were getting themselves into when they answered that call to follow him. That they would see demons cast out in the most miraculous dramatic ways, that they would see paralytics all of a sudden start walking, that they would see dead people come to life, a widow's son raised back to life, that they would see massive crowds following Jesus, his popularity explode. So you gotta think, here's the disciples, and they're seeing stuff they can't understand. They can't, they don't have categories for for what's going on here, of, of of, of God become man, they don't understand that yet. But they do know that they're following this man who's doing stuff that humans don't do and who preaches in a way that cuts to their hearts in a way that no one else has ever preached. And the kingdom of God is coming with power in a way that none of them had ever seen before. And Jesus keeps, as he's going through his ministry, he keeps saying, and the important thing is faith. Faith is what drives the kingdom. Faith is what advances the kingdom. In fact, in chapter eight, um, when Jesus cures a woman with an incurable disease. He tells her straight up, daughter, your faith has made you well. 
And Jesus at various times points out this person's faith is incredible. Jesus cares about faith. And so here's the disciples' mindset. They're seeing stuff that's incredible, miracles and wonders. They're seeing the kingdom of God come in power. This is like what we long for as well. And it seems to be the more faith, the more power. The more faith, the more the kingdom advances. The more faith, the more healings, the more miracles. And so the disciples are like, give us more faith so that we can see the kingdom come more. It's a pretty honest request. But there's an assumption here that Jesus actually leads to Jesus rebuking them. And the assumption is that more faith is gonna lead to more fruit. That just an increase in their faith is gonna bring the kingdom in greater power. If you give me more faith, there's gonna be more work done for Christ's kingdom and his cause. And it's, it's really similar to us saying when we, again, when we read biographies of missionaries and we say, yeah, give me the faith like a missionary and then we'll see, we'll see the gates of hell tremble. Give me the faith of a Hudson Taylor. I read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret in high school and it, it really impacted me. It's an incredible story. He was a British missionary, one of the first missionaries to China. He began the China Inland Mission and he was really the first missionary to see fruit in reaching the Chinese people. Um, and there's a story uh, when he's in China. It's actually told by a fellow missionary who witnessed this. Uh, this fellow missionary had come. He was meeting with Hudson. And in the midst of this meeting, uh, Hudson Taylor, th- there's news that comes to him of rioting near some of the mission stations. These would have been fellow colleagues, dear friends um, of Hudson Taylor. And there's violent rioting, which means the lives of these people were endangered. And so this missionary is, 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 you know, it's kind of this awkward situation where you, you get this devastating news. It's like that, you know, call in the middle of the night. And so he's like, well, I'm going to kind of ease my way out, you know, politely, tactfully make my exit. And as he's walking away, he hears Hudson Taylor begin to, to whistle uh, a hymn. And the hymn, I don't know how the tune goes, but the words of the hymn are, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I'm finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. And, and the, the, the fellow missionary stops and can't help but ask, how can you whistle when your friends are in danger? And Hudson Taylor replied, would you have me anxious and troubled? That wouldn't help them and would certainly incapacitate me from my work. I have just to roll the burden on the Lord. We read that and we say, give me that kind of faith, Lord, that can hear that kind of tragic news of, of, of you know, potential harm to some of our dearest loved ones, and rather than devolving into quivering masses of tears and anxiety, we, we begin to whistle a hymn. Yeah, give me that kind of faith, and I'll do what Hudson Taylor did. Now, I have to say, the problem with the apostles, again, is not that they're asking for faith. We should ask for faith. And we hope that our faith grows as we get older. That's absolutely true. But Jesus brings out a rebuke, which we're going to look at next, because the apostles and the disciples were subtly despising the day of small things. They were saying, I want the faith of a missionary. I want the faith of a martyr. I want the faith of a prophet Elijah who could speak and fire would descend, who never doubted, had complete certainty. Give me that kind of faith. Jesus rebukes them because Jesus' main point in this passage is that we don't need more faith. We just need to begin to exercise the faith that we already have. So our first point, we want faith like a missionary. We all have that desire. We think if you gave me the faith of an Adoram Judson or a Hudson Taylor, sure, I'd go to China. But our second point is we only need faith like a seed. And this is where we get to Jesus' response to this request. Verse six, 
And the Lord said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, verse 6 is a little bit difficult to translate. We're gonna, this is going to be a little technical, but just follow with me because it's important. So the ESV, which is what we have in the pews, it translates it as, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed. And, and what it sounds like Jesus is saying is like, look, if you had any faith, you could say to this mulberry tree, but you don't. You have no faith. It sounds like he's rebuking them as if he's saying they have no faith. Now, you could also translate it as, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, which is more of a hypothetical, like if you even have a little bit of faith, watch out, amazing things will happen. And I think it's the latter. For one, these are disciples who've left their home and family to follow Jesus. They've already demonstrated faith. For Jesus to come back and say, you don't have any faith. If you had any faith, it wouldn't make any sense. And so I think what Jesus is saying is, look, the faith, even the faith the size of a, of, of a mustard seed. Now, if you haven't seen a mustard seed, it's about the size of a sesame seed, one of the small seeds you can, you can, that, that, that exists. If you even have a little bit of faith, watch out and see what will happen. Now, we have to be careful with this saying. We have to talk about first what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus is using hyperbole. Hyperbole is, is, is an exaggeration that's not meant to be taken literally, but has a serious point. Okay, so if my, my kids aren't here because my wife is sick, but if my kids were here and after church you heard Caleb say, I'm starving, you would not call CPS. It's not that I'm not feeding my kids and they're literally starving to death. He's being hyperbolic. He's exaggerating. Is he hungry? Yeah. Take it seriously. Your son is hungry. Is he literally starving? No. That's what's going on here. And this isn't just a matter of hermeneutics and linguistics and technicalities that seminarians like to get into. This could be a matter of life and death. Understanding how do we understand, handling Jesus' words right, rightly. I was uh, listening to an interview with Philip Yancey, who's a well-known Christian author. I've actually never read anything by him, <laughs> but he's well-known. I know the name well. Um, and he was sharing a story of, of uh, his father, when he was young, died of polio. And the reason he died of polio is that um, he had it pretty badly, and, um, and he was uh, at a hospital, and his parents decided to take their father off life support because they believed that if they prayed and had faith, God would heal them. That was a misunderstanding of passages like this, of assuming that we should take this literally, that, we have, that God kind of gives us an, an, a blank check. If we just have enough faith, he'll do whatever we want. And it cost him his dad's life. So this isn't just, you know, this isn't just a quibble for seminarians, but this is, this is serious stuff. How do we understand this? Jesus is making a general statement. He's not giving specific promises. Okay, but what is Jesus saying? Because he is saying something. Like, the point isn't just what he isn't, what he isn't saying. What Jesus is saying is that in the kingdom of God, in the mystery of God's providence, in the humor of God's providence, little acts of faith that we maybe despise as insignificant add up to life-transforming, kingdom-advancing movements. They have the, 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 the metaphorical equivalency of uprooting a mulberry tree and planting it in the sea. If you ever tried to uproot a tree, that is the most soul-crushing work you can do. Yeah. Typically, you don't uproot it. You might sever, like, you're probably going to try to sever the roots because a tree is really strong. Maybe you'll have a grinder. But if you try to do it without machines, which I have tried, 
it is just, it just crushes your soul. But to actually uproot it, I'm like, I suppose if you had a team of horses, maybe. The point is this is really difficult. But Jesus, again, is letting us on that this is not, this is not to be taken literally because then he says, not only do you uproot a tree by your voice, you're going to plant it in the sea. How do you plant a, a tree in the sea? That's not possible. You can't plant a tree in deep water. It needs soil. Again, Jesus is, is not meant to be used literally, but the, the general principle, which is supposed to be taken very seriously, is that small acts of faith will accomplish extraordinary things if it's put into practice. You've got to speak to the tree. <laughs> if you have a mustard seed-sized faith, but you don't speak to the tree, it's not going to move. Jesus is saying, look, you have the smallest bit of faith but faith is so potent, so powerful, if you begin to exercise it, again, in the mystery of God's providence and the way he has created his kingdom to advance, that's how it's going to advance. You know, God, Jesus doesn't want like a hundred little Hudson Taylors running around doing their amazing things. He has his Hudson Taylors and they're the anomalies. But he wants all Christians exercising their faith in little ways throughout their day, putting into practice, and that is how the kingdom of God is going to advance. That is how the gospel will go forth and hearts will be changed and people will come to know the risen Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, you know, when we look at Hudson Taylor, we, we focus, the stories we remember are when he's like 60, and we forget that Hudson Taylor was once a child, that he was once a new Christian, also with faith the size of mustard seed, and if you read his biography, what you see is long before he went to China and founded China Inland Mission and saw one of the first mass conversions of, of the Chinese to Christianity, long before that, he was serving in Britain. He was going out and exercising his faith in ways that are not that different than how we might, serving in a soup kitchen, preaching in a prison, trying to just love his neighbors well. But you do decades of those small steps of faith, and all of a sudden that faith that began as a mustard seed begins to grow. And so decades later, you get Hudson Taylor. Okay, if Jesus' point is, look, so again, a lot of times we say, if I just had more faith, I would, I would do more for the Lord. I would, I would see the kingdom of God come in power. I would share the gospel with my neighbors. I would be involved at church. I would do all these things if I just had more faith. And Jesus says, you don't, you don't need more faith. Like, if you just put the faith you have into action, into practice, watch out. That's incredibly powerful. But what does it actually mean, though? So again, Jesus doesn't want us to actually speak to mulberry trees and tell them to be uprooted. What does it mean to exercise the faith that we have? Well, first and most fundamentally, exercising our faith is more about being with someone than doing something. It's about communion with the Lord Jesus before it's about doing anything else. You see this in another famous text in John 15, in verses 1, verses 4 to 5. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is a vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in me, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. First and foremost, if we want to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, we abide with Christ. We walk in daily fellowship with him, in daily communion with him. And as we're doing that, as we're walking in trust in the Lord, 
God will use that mustard seed-sized faith to advance his kingdom. So first, it's, 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 it's fellowship with the risen Lord. But second, exercising our faith means we actually begin to do what Jesus says. We're walking with him every day, and then we begin to obey him. Now that can mean first, like, obey the commands he gives in scriptures, absolutely. We look at the explicit commands he gives in the gospels, we look at the commands he gives through the inspired writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament. But when we look at the commands that we see in scripture, they operate on these general levels. Be holy as God is holy. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow him. Deny yourself, die to yourself. Um, offer your bodies as living sacrifices of worship. Those are the commands we're given. Okay, but what does it actually mean? Does that mean that you should sell everything you have and move to Yemen as a missionary? Maybe. So when I say we begin to listen to the voice of Jesus, to obey him, actually do what he says, I'm not just saying that we memorize the Bible. We actually begin to hear the voice of Christ speak to us by his spirit. As he takes these commands he's given us in scripture and he begins to apply them to what does that actually mean for your life? Does it make you uncomfortable to, to actually have Jesus speak to you in a personal way? Like not just like, okay, you know, give me some scripture to read, but like Jesus speaking to you, maybe not in an audible voice, but in a way that I recognize this is the presence of the Lord and he's calling me to do X, Y, and Z. Now I recognize that can be abused, right? That can lead to kind of a hyper subjective, every shiver up my spine is God like giving me some kind of grand order. But I, I don't see a whole lot of that in our church. Like that may be a problem for some churches. I don't think hyper emotionalism and subjectivism is our problem. I think maybe our tendency is the other way. There's a story about John Wesley. Um, John Wesley was, uh, he was one of the, the, the early forerunners of the Great Awakening. And really, the, um, you know, when you trace evangelicalism as a Christian movement, it traces back to guys like John Wesley and George Whitfield and their ministries and seeing a revival come to the English-speaking world. But John Wesley, when he was a young man, uh, was a student in Oxford, was struggling with what it meant to be a Christian, was struggling with his own assurance, what does it mean to know Christ, and he actually goes to Georgia to be a missionary. It's ironic because afterwards he doesn't think he was a Christian yet. But here he is as a missionary um, trying to teach other people what it means to follow Jesus. But in God's providence, as he's going across on that journey, he happens to be sharing a boat with a group of Moravians who are a Christian, um, uh, very evangelical in ways, uh, uh, Christian movement out of the continent, out of Germany. And these Moravians were talking to him. There's one specific older wiser Christian Moravian who is speaking with, with John, again, about John's struggles with, I don't know if I'm a Christian, I don't have assurance, I, I, you know, what it, yada, yada, yada. And finally, the Moravian just looks at John, and he says, John, do you know Jesus? And here's John Wesley, an Oxford graduate, brilliant mind, the son of an Oxford graduate who is a well-known poet, kind of comes from an upper-class background, very respectable, very heady, He's like, I don't know what to do with that question. What do you mean, do I know Jesus? So John replies, I know that Jesus is the savior of the world. And Moravian replies, yes, but do you know that he's your savior? 
One of the ways we exercise our faith is we don't know Jesus as a principle. We don't know him just as, as commands that are out there, but we begin to see Jesus is actually interacting and speaking to me, to you, in a way that he's not speaking necessarily to other people. As Jesus takes his commands, brings them to life, and all of a sudden starts directing you in your daily life. I think in our tribe, we need to remind ourselves again and again and again that we are not deists. We don't worship a spiritual principle. We don't worship a a, a, a theological system. We worship Jesus. We believe in the personhood of the second member of the Trinity. It means he's a person. And so we interact with him like a person. We expect him to answer, to direct us, to speak to us. In personal ways. So again, Jesus says, you don't need more faith. You need to exercise the faith you have. And if you do, the kingdom of God will come in power. How are you doing in exercising your faith? Abiding with Jesus every day. Now there are ways, there there are worn avenues that Christians have found throughout the centuries where we meet with the risen Lord. Find Find him in his word. We find him in prayer. Find him in fasting. We find him in the gathered body. But I'm not asking you, are you reading your Bible every day? Because we can read our Bible and again, we, we are not encountering Jesus because we're not actually seeking a person. Are, are, are you communing? Are you abiding in Jesus? Again, as a person who actually speaks to us every day. Are you hearing his voice and are you obeying? Um, it's, it's very difficult to live seeking the actual experiential awareness of God's presence in Jesus. It's very easy to go into autopilot um, and just read the Bible and, and deal with concepts and precepts. And I, I, I think the greatest hindrance for us who live in America to experiencing the presence of Jesus regularly in an experiential way is just the distraction and the noise and the busyness that comes with living in our, in our culture. We have podcasts, we have social media, we have news, 24-7 news from 18 different news sources. Um, We have the radio. If we're going to know the voice of Jesus, our our souls desperately need silence and solitude. And so I, I tell you what, this is your pastor speaking. The most spiritual thing some of you may do this week is to just go on a walk, not with your earbuds in, and just be in silence and listen for the voice of God. We want the faith of a missionary, but we have the faith of a mustard seed. Brings us to our third point. And we have enough faith for any task. There's an amazing promise in this passage. It's implicit, you gotta bring it out, but it's so beautiful. Again, Jesus says, look, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, a tiny bit, even the most insignificant bit, which every Christian does, You'll be able to speak to a tree and move it. You'll be able to move mountains, metaphorically. You'll do amazing things by the power of God if you just have a little bit of faith and you begin to exercise it. And so the implicit promise, guys, that there's no task so great that God won't provide the faith we need to accomplish it. Jesus will never call you to anything, to any task, no matter how overwhelming it seems, no matter how difficult it may seem. He will not call you to any task that he will not provide the faith you need to accomplish that. 
That is an amazing, amazing promise. If we could see the decades stretching out before us of all of those in this room, of what God will call, what Jesus Christ will personally call some of us to, vocational ministry and missions, maybe to fostering and adoption, maybe to seasons of singleness or even a life of singleness, seasons of intense suffering, we might be overwhelmed. And I could never do that. We might be tempted to despair. But we don't need more faith. God will provide the faith that we need for whatever he may call us to. And in fact, he already has. Because even the little, tiniest bit of faith accomplishes far more than we can possibly fathom if we will begin to exercise it in daily communion with Jesus and listening and obeying his voice. Brian Street, I'm really happy to be able to say that you don't need the faith of Hudson Taylor to see the kingdom of God come in your life. You don't need the faith of a Adonai Judson or a Billy Graham or take whoever you want to see God's kingdom come in power. If you're a Christian, God has given you the faith you need for the work that he has for you. The question is, will you trust him and will you obey him? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that in your humor, you're the kind of king who uses broken vessels with only a mustard seed size of faith. And you use us to spiritually uproot mountains and move them. And you use our weak and our, our, our oftentimes faltering faith, and you use it to advance your kingdom and to bring healing and to bring life. Jesus, help us to uh, begin to grow in our faith, to grow in exercising it. Christ, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't just want to grow in knowledge about you. We want to know you. We want you to flood our hearts with your presence, to fall on our knees and weep tears because you're near to us. If we could, if we could lose the world, but have you. Lord, we'd only do that if we actually know you. We've heard of you so much. We want to know you. Please, will you reveal yourself to us and we draw near to us. We pray this knowing that you are the shepherd who pursues the lost sheep. God, we pray to you because you are the father who has sent the son. We offer these prayers up to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.